imposters. Welcome back to the You're Not Qualified podcast to also the second episode of the mini-sode series. So throughout the season on the last Tuesday of every month, there will be a bonus episode mini-sode where I have a guest on still and we talk about their experience throughout their career and their life and the pivots that they've made and blocks that they've faced, how they've overcome them, all of that. And we also read a listener email together and dissect it, talk about it, talk about how it relates to some things in our lives and imposter syndrome overall, and basically just celebrate badass people doing badass things. If you would love to be one of those emails that we read on this last Tuesday episode, please send it in. I can be reached at ynqpod at gmail.com. Yn is a Nancy qpod at gmail.com. And I would love to read it. They are so, so much fun to read. But these episodes are meant to be very short. So I'm going to get right into it with Maria. Well, very relative to my other episodes. So we'll just jump right in with Maria. Let's go. It's so fetch. What is fetch? Oh, it's like slang from England. So today on the You're Not Qualified mini-sode, we have Maria Zhu joining us. And Maria is also in Seattle, but we're on Zoom together because we can't get our lives together. So here we are, <laughs> to like meet in person, but here we are. And I'm so excited to have Maria here to talk about her journey in the tech industry and how imposter syndrome has played a role in her life. Hi, Maria. Hello, Courtney. I'm quite literally so honored that you would ask me to be on your pod. It's truly been a dream of mine to be any kind of guest on any kind of podcast and look at me now. Oh, wow. Look at you. This is just the first step. Achieving my dreams and you're making it possible. And I love that. So excited to have you. We've known each other for many years now. Yeah. I will go so far as to say that you're a best friend of mine. And now to make it very awkward, if you don't no, extend I, yeah. the same mm-hmm. sentiment towards me. A hundred percent. And I love you really because I'm just going to end this call. Goodbye. <laughs> but friendship uh, over. yeah, friendship is over. But yeah, we've been through a lot at the same company. We were on the same team for a little while and then post layoffs. And from there, we have both expanded further into product, which has Mm -hmm. been really exciting. You had another startup, which is great. So let's talk about what got you there and maybe a little journey of what you studied in college, where you are now. Yeah. So strap in listeners, because it's a wild ride. So I originally went to college for music. I started playing the cello when I was sick. My parents put me into that activity fully because they knew that it would help 12, 13 years down the line when I was applying for colleges. But as a six-year-old, you don't really understand that. So I grew up really resenting it and really not liking it because it was kind of like a second job, essentially. I would go to music school on the weekends. I also had to audition quite frequently. Like I, at the age of six, I had to audition to get into a music school. Like they still make you quote unquote audition to gauge your skill level and just like figure out like what kind of student you are and that sort of thing. Six years old, what kind of student? 
years old, which is <laughs> unless you're like a child in like showbiz or something. I feel like that's kind of daunting. And I am uh-huh. someone I do not like performing. I don't like auditioning. I've always hated it, but I've had to do it for at a very young age. And so then on weekends, so I'm originally from the San Francisco Bay area on the weekends, we would drive into San Francisco and I would basically do music school on the weekends. So we would get there like 8am. I would have music theory classes and then like my private lessons and then chamber music and orchestra and all of that stuff on top of like regular school. So I did not like it because it, a lot of my friends on the weekends, they got to do like fun things like group sports and just hang out and be a kid. Whereas I think that like music school on the weekends is just not no, great. Not that really just fun. like takes over your whole life. Takes over your whole life. And it's also a lot of it is, I think the world of classical music is a very strange one in that it's a lot of it's solitary, right? Because you are a soloist first and foremost, you are always working on solo repertoire, but you do have like group ensembles. So you can do chamber music, which is normally about three to four other people. You're in larger ensembles, like orchestras, but then like behind that, there is this kind of overarching air of like constant competition because the classical music world is quite small. And so when you go and compete or when you go to music camps, you run into the same people over and over again. And that is not an environment that I thrive well in. I don't, I'm not competitive at all by nature, but that whole like part of my life was not the funnest as a teenager. And then, but I really did not understand the benefits of it until I got into the school that I did, which was, I think at the time, a very good school. Like I would not have gotten into the school just on like my grades because fun fact, if you audition through a music school, they have their own admissions, quote unquote, procedures. Like you still need to have decent grades, but essentially if your professor that you are going to study with likes you enough, they can essentially tell like the overall admissions office, hey, I like this person. I want them in my studio. Go ahead and admit them. I don't know if I should be saying that out loud on this, but essentially that's how I got into the school that I got into. But my plan, yeah, but my plan, and so thank you, mom and dad, huge payoff, like 12 years after putting into cello. But my plan was always to either transfer out of the music school or tack on another major because I knew that trying to do music long term was just not something in the cards for me on top of like my college work I had professors who were telling me I had to practice four to five hours a day like on top of all my classes and schoolwork and so by sophomore year I was incredibly burnt out I only had time to take one non-music class on main campus like one class a semester because everything else was music um So I was just like, you go to college to learn different subjects, but I didn't really have the time to do that. And then the time came to choose my major at 19 years old. And I do think it's kind of messed up that colleges make you choose your major when you're a sophomore, because unless you are studying to be like a doctor or like something with that you need advanced degrees for, it's what am I supposed to choose? 19 year olds are not capable of forethought. Mm -hmm. I just want to share that with everyone. I really, I'd really liked psychology when I took it in high school. My sister was a psychology major and I always thought what she was studying was super interesting. So I was like, oh, I'll just put that as my second major and then we'll see what happens. I ended up switching my primary and secondary major so that psychology was my primary major and then music became my secondary major. I think that really with my academic balance in the long run. And then in terms of like, internships and all that stuff that they tell you to do during the summers. I like, I was a social media quote unquote intern for a while. Fancy. Yeah, it was really just like, 
posting things onto Facebook and like Pinterest. And I don't even think the company is still like around anymore, but it was something to do because you need something to put on your resume as a young college student. But the summer before my senior year, I had a friend who had interned at the Nashville Symphony. That's where I went to school. I went to school in Nashville and she really liked it. And my cello professor at the time, he had been a cellist with the symphony for like years and years. And he just taught at the music, at my music school as a secondary gig. And he was like, they hire interns every year. Let me know when I can get you in touch with the HR director and we can set up an interview. Ended up interning there the summer before my senior year. And I thought it was a really nice mix of my classical music background and also some of my like behavioral psychology background. And I really liked that HR in general, you have a lot of different disciplines. So you have like compensation, you have employee relations, you can be a generalist, you can do more business side of things. So I thought that was really interesting. I really liked it. And then of course, graduation rolls around and I'd been interviewing for months and months and I just took the first place that gave me an offer because I had student loans and I was like literally Mm. one week away from moving into my first quote unquote grown up apartment. I was like, I need money. Yeah. We are Um, no place to be choosy at that point. Yeah. No, I'm like, listen, I'm not even 22 yet. I'm quite literally still a baby. It was at a big healthcare corporation. I worked as a talent acquisition assistant. So basically onboarding new hires, the little team that I was on basically hired medical coders. Um, So I weirdly learned a lot about medical coding when I was in that job and it was fine. I just did the same like four steps every day, which for me, I am not the kind of person that thrives in that environment. I need something new, something fresh. I eventually went around to different jobs. I eventually became a full cycle recruiter for a global insurance company. Again, doing the same thing over and over again, opening jobs, closing jobs, making offers, blah, blah, blah. And I was getting very bored and I felt very pigeonholed because when you are in a global company, they have the resources to be able to tell you like, oh, hey, by the way, you can only do these couple steps in a large process. And then this person will, this team or this person will take over the next. So it was very siloed. And I was quite literally going crazy. I was talking to candidates and asking the same couple questions. And also like the environment that I was in, it was just like a lot of older people that had like families and some people had like grandkids. And I was like, that's just not, that was not my vibe. Yeah. I ended up halfway during my time there, we merged with another company and they were all fully remote. And then we got a new head of talent acquisition. And I think really the second time I met this man, I was like, hi, I'm Maria. I sit on this team, by the way, can I move to Seattle really quick and work remotely there? And he was like, oh yeah, I guess. As long as you're online, when most of us are online, it's not a problem. So I ended up moving out here. I think that really helped with the whole, just getting back into an environment that I felt maybe a little bit more comfortable in because Nashville is such a different place culturally than the West Coast, which is what I'm more used to. Started applying to jobs, the most random jobs you could ever think of. I don't even, I, you are probably not supposed to do this. You actually, you aren't supposed to do this. I was just shooting off my resume. I was, I would look at job descriptions and be like, I could learn how to do that. Or I know, hoping that someone would take a chance on me. And I'd never really considered tech. I did have a lot of friends in tech, but to me at the time coming from a corporate background, that was just like, it was almost like the unicorn. Oh, so like, that's where you drew the line. Exactly. Like, I, I don't like, know oh, if I, I can do never that. do yeah. that. Not even, I was like, I could, that could never be like, I don't think I could ever like, how do I break into that space? Yeah. It just felt very unattainable and very, unless you're 
a software engineer, you're kind of, you're going to be stuck where you are. I applied to Rover. The job description was operations specialist. And I remember the job description was super vague. Like, I don't even know what it, they were looking for. And this should have tipped me off. It was basically like the qualifications were like one to two years of like work experience. And I was like, okay, like, well, I have I'm that. Working. <laughs> I, I can know how to log on, log off at an appropriate time. And I got response back. I was super jazzed. I was so excited. I was like, oh my gosh, what is this company? Dogs. I was immediately like hook, line and sinker. Like I've been, got the job. Still didn't really know what I was doing because for all of our, for all of your beautiful listeners out there, it was basically to help launch the on-demand dog walking service line, which at the time was brand new. It was basically be marketed as like Uber or Lyft, but for dog walking. And I had no idea why I was chosen. What I was told was I had knowledge of what a quote unquote, a funnel, F-U-N-E-L is. So basically we didn't call it that when I was a recruiter, but it's essentially like the pipeline of a candidate experience, right? So you open a job, you get candidates, you screen them, you weed people out, then you move on to loops and then you keep weeding them out and then you make an offer and then you close the job. So that whole candidate experience loop is what Rover was referring to as a funnel. And except of working with candidates, we were working with people who wanted to become 1099s for us, dog walkers. So basically like independent contractors. And because I had an understanding of how to manage multiple funnels at a time, that kind of put me in some kind of position to understand of, okay, while we have this funnel open and working, let's open up the, and basically it's about timing, right? Because mm -hmm. when you have an, a funnel that's always open that you never close, like how do you make sure that you're getting groups of people in and through the process at a quick enough pace that makes sense that you always have a flow of people and that not, no one's getting stuck unnecessarily, if that makes sense. Our team did a little bit of everything. And I, that's what I liked mm -hmm. about operations is that you do a little bit of everything, jack of all trades, master of none. And it was a wild ride. No one, I think at the company really knew what we were doing. We mm -hmm. barely knew what we were doing. Unfortunately, the pandy threw a wrench and thing. Oh, the Patricia. She ruined it for us. Quite frankly, we all got laid off our entire team got laid off RIP I spent a lot of time floundering I think that my anxiety around having health care during a global pandemic and having money and not getting kicked out of my apartment I don't think I would have ever gotten to the point where we would have gotten kicked out like obviously I have my partner like I have money but like I think that anxiety pushed me to take job opportunities that I don't think I would have had the pandemic not come. I took a lot of contract jobs. I took a job that literally lasted like two months because it was a full-time job and it lasted two months because they also went through another round of layoffs. I was not a part of the layoff, but my manager was getting laid off and I was told literally that they didn't know what to do with my role. So I was like, okay, I don't really want to. Yeah. I was like, I don't really want to stick around. So I ended up leaving after only two months, which is probably not what you're supposed to do. Went to another really small startup, a software as a service startup that basically helps like small business owners who run like kids activities and like kids educational activities is a scheduling software for them. I was an onboarding specialist. So basically once you signed up to use our software, I basically helped configure it for you. I would get on a call with you and blah, blah, blah. I had extreme burnout by maybe month 
three because it was just me and my manager. Luckily, my manager was amazing. She really took all of my feedback to heart. And I think it helped her see some things that weren't working with how the company was functioning and how our team fit within that. It was getting to the point where literally I would log off and then I would take a nap for two hours to like decompress from the day and then like get up and then like fix dinner or whatever. And, but like long-term, that's probably not great for your health, but I do love naps as I was texting you earlier. That's not a good sign for your mental health, especially if you need a nap every day to decompress and then you can wake up and be a functioning human outside of work. That's a red flag. It's, it was not good. Yeah, it was really bad. And I, once again, was like, oh, do I start searching for jobs again? I can't keep job hopping. This is ridiculous. And I kept thinking like, what if I stick it out? Maybe things will improve. But it, I started just sending out my resume. I so do back this a to lot. that from Nashville. Back yeah. To that, which okay. I remember I talked to you about Courtney. Yeah. At the time I was like, what do I do? What do I do? And I saw a job posting. The job title was product operations specialist. And I was like, that was my job title at Rover. I'm yeah. like, okay, we're on a tour. We're on to a good track here. It was a PR SaaS platform. I have, I do not know anything about PR. I still don't know anything about PR really, but it was such a positive job interview experience. Everyone was super nice. Like I remember back in when I was still living in my apartment, they were building an apartment building, like literally next door to ours, like building an entire building from scratch. <laughs> and they were drilling like directly into our wall. <laughs> and I had a loop with the VP of engineering at this company that like, I'm trying to get a job at the VP of engineering. And it was because I work East coast hours. I'm up at 7am Pacific. So it's like super early in the morning. I'm like trying to like get my zoom set up and trying to look presentable at 7am for this loop with this very high up person. And there's drilling happening, but he was so cool. He's like, yeah, whatever it happens. He's we've been literally on zoom for years and years. Like these things happen. And I liked that it was a very small team. So I was the second product operations person on the team besides the manager who had been in the role for a couple of years. And I like getting in with teams that are that small because in the long run, I think it, I like being able to have a say in policies, best practices, procedure, that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. I really like that. And I think when you get in kind of on the ground up, you have a lot more say, you can kind of help shape the team. So I've been in that role for a year and four-ish months. Oh, my wow, that long already. Okay. Yeah. It's simultaneously felt really short, but also like super long. Yeah. Which I don't know how to feel about that. But my <laughs> title is now Senior Product Operations Specialist. Traditionally, product operations, for those of you that might not know, it's it basically serves as the connected tissue between tech teams at a company and the non-tech teams. So like when new feature launches, or if you have like user issues or like bugs and triaging and managing, how to best use your tech stack, like those are all like operational things that PMs shouldn't be doing with because PMs need to focus on building products. So they're like, who else is going to do it? The product operations team does that. At my company, we do a little bit of everything. I am now in a analytics role. So I am the, I'm in charge of our product analytics platform, which has been very interesting and very new. And we have two, actually we have three new people on the product ops team. So we've like more than doubled our team a year and four months that have been there. And then also the greater product team. Yeah. So that is my winding road of how I got to where I am now, which is start off in a completely different area, have some 
panic attacks along the way that makes you just question everything about what you're doing and whether or not you should stay at your company or leave your company or whatever. Mm, Absolutely. There's a couple through lines though, and they're presenting themselves for me in like transferable skills for sure. And then really just understanding even a small portion of a role that you do know about and saying, oh, that might be enough to get me this job, which is something that myself and a lot of the people on this that I've had as guests on this podcast, we talk about a lot in terms of if there, it is so daunting applying for a job. You do not have to be 100% qualified. You do not have to be 60% qualified. If you see something that is an ambiguous job listing, like you did for the Rover one or something that's a title that I used to have, even if it was like a year ago, try, go for it. Absolutely. Put your hat in the ring because. Absolutely. And as a recruiter, I am telling you all, I have never made an offer to a candidate who checked off all of the requirements and knew how to do every single bullet point on the job description. I think it's completely unrealistic for hiring managers to want that because at the same time, like you do want your whoever comes into the role to have room to grow and not plateau very quickly. If you come into the role and you know how to do every single bullet point, you're going to hit your ceiling very quickly. And then you're going to not be fulfilled professionally. And then guess what? You might leave the role like six months, a year in, and then your backfill is going to, we're going to be right back there opening up for your backfill. I have literally now it's a different step. I've had hiring managers who have wanted someone to check every single box. And that's a different conversation, but I have never made an offer to a candidate who knew how to do every single thing on the job description. And that's good. That's good for the job because then you have somebody in there that has some background that would probably be very useful because so many backgrounds are that isn't, if it's not 100% dedicated to a role, then there's room for growth for both the role for the person and room for some creativity within the role because that can only help. And yeah, being 100% qualified for me is definitely not achievable for a lot of people, but it's also probably not actually what the company wants and they just think that they want it. I don't even know why they would why a lot of companies pursue candidates that are 100% qualified. To me, it's incredibly insane. But (laughs) I mean, to me, it just feels like you don't want to put in the work of developing your Mm. employees. You want someone that can hit the ground running, blah, blah, blah. I always feel like I always heard people say like, we want someone who can hit the ground running. But it's, yes, you don't want like someone coming in who's like never done the thing at all before a lot of these things can be taught like I had never worked with engineers I had no technical background I had nothing like that now in my role I am routinely conversing with engineers trying to decipher what the heck they are telling me and also with our product analytics platform the nature of it's basically so it measures it tracks all the clicks that people make on our website but behind that it's like html like css and so now I'm going in and I'm like configuring that code like for our product and like platform and it was guys google is a great invention google will always help you like legitimately yeah so some so we have two other product ops specialists who joined right around the same time and i spent some time with them as they were getting onboarded and they were like how did you and they would look at we would look at user issue tickets, like bug tickets together. And they were like, how did you know that this was the problem? And I was like, let me in on, let me tell you a secret. Let me in on a secret. 
I Googled it. I Googled this thing and this is what it told me. And it's just so happened that was the issue and now we can go in and fix it. But Google, you guys. Yeah. Beautiful tool. Google it. Yes. I think that a lot of people are like not for one reason or another are hesitant to share that because I think there has, there's this overall like feeling, especially in tech, you should just know it. You should know the answer to things because you're really smart and you like know how to code or you know this, but it's actually, I Googled it and I have no shame in saying that a lot of what I know about SQL didn't come from all those courses that they made us take. You could figure it out for yourself. That's the thing. You can pursue your own knowledge whether yeah. or not that's Google or you're actually going to a library like we did in the 90s. No, I'm kidding. People should still go to libraries. But you have to go support there. Support your local library, y'all. Yeah, support your local library. Yeah. But you used to have to go there to find your knowledge. And it took so much longer. But now you can literally Google any keyword and information about that keyword will come up. The internet is amazing. The internet is surveil. a crazy, wild yeah. place. Don't just spend all your time on TikTok and Instagram reels, all right? Just make sure you actually do some knowledge reading or celebrity sightings because that's our rabbit hole. That's our that. thing. Maria that's our Google. That. Yeah, shout out to Ma. We're really here also to talk about an email from a listener, which I'm so excited that we have this opportunity to talk about another woman's, basically her journey from her beginnings to going out on her own and how scary that can be. And I think it would be fun because obviously neither one of us have started our own business, but it would be fun to talk about this and then wrap it into imposter syndrome and like maybe any trends we're seeing from here into how you felt and like gleaning maybe how this experience would feel from the listener and like how you and your life have felt about making these really big moves because you made a lot of them and learning curves. So let's jump into the email and let's talk about learning curves and believing in yourself and just going for it. I love that. Okay. So our email is from Natasha today. And Natasha's story is amazing because like I said, she started her own business. I know, go girl. So here is her story. And she was so beautiful that she made probably years of her life into a paragraph. I know. Wonderful. So we can just talk about it, pick out of it and dive right in. So she says, I went from spending 20 years as an employee, very long time, And we all can probably relate to that. Working in the world of marketing to starting my own company, teaching people how to cook and experiment with flavor, which is badass. That's my words. I started my business after being laid off with a nine month old baby and no entrepreneurial experience. Yikes. And then a year later, I grew it to be a six figure business. A year later, (laughs) sold packages for $20,000 and ran my own sold out retreat in new orleans i have so many words but natasha you are so cool if you are listening to this no kidding what an amazing badass woman with a nine-month-old baby of all things so let's start from the get-go she went from 20 years as an employee i don't even know how long i've been employed since i was 14 and i'm 34 holy shit that's 20 years right wait you've been working since you were 14 
Yeah, the 14 was the age in Kansas that you could work. Where did you work? I was working at a cafe in a tiny town in Kansas. I was a waitress. That's so cute. Yeah, I hated it. <laughs> no, it was fine. The woman that I worked for, while I now really appreciate her, she was like a very hot-headed British woman. And she yelled a lot. Wow, in the middle of Kansas? That's kind of random. It really was the most random thing. But she is an awesome person. She just really wanted things done a certain way. <laughs> but Not me as a type A person. Oh, God. Like, what? If I would be that that eye emoji, lip emoji, eye emoji right now. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. That is one of my favorite emoji combos. But she, yeah, she works for 20 years as an employee, working in the world of marketing. And then she branches out teaching people how to cook and experiment with flavor. I assume that she did have a lot of interest in cooking, probably taking people under her wing to teach them an amazing trade. I can't imagine just making a leap, but you've made leaps. You've made leaps not to go out on your own, but you were like, I want something different. So I'm going to do it. Yeah, I've made leaps, definitely not as big as this one, but I have made leaps. Mm -hmm. It was that thing of like, kind of know how to do this. And so why not branch that out? I will say my leaps more came from a place of I'm so sick of where I'm at currently. And maybe Natasha was feeling that way too. Maybe that's Mm -hmm. why I made the leap, but I have made leaps. Some that made sense and some that I was like, maybe I shouldn't have leapt so quickly and so far I shouldn't have just maybe just slow down a little bit Mm -hmm. I think the difference here is that I'm assuming like you said Natasha really likes cooking takes an interest with it and I really like that they called out experiment with flavor because I think that if that was used as part of the marketing for this new venture I think that would have grasped people's attention more yeah, I love right? that you I love that you said that because like experimental flavor that feels like so like deliberately left in there that I'm wondering yeah. if maybe that was part of like the whole deal because yeah. and I watched during the pandy, I watched a lot of videos. There's this girl named June who works for is it Bon Appetit? I can't remember. Or maybe Delish, one of those like big cooking channels. And she would just do videos where she'd be like, I have a bunch of random things in my pantry that I need to use up. Let's just make up a random recipe. And I think that, like, I would want to become a cook or a chef that knows how to do that versus someone who can just kind of follow a recipe. That's Mm -hmm. just for me personally, because Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily always want to be beholden to a recipe. Like, I think it's just, I also just think it's super cool to be like, oh, I just whipped this together for you guys. It's not a big deal. And then it tastes like amazing and delicious. So I'm just experimenting. It's my first time with this recipe. Exactly. And I, and I hope that's what Natasha's venture helped folks do, because that sounds super interesting. Yeah. And she does come from a world of marketing. So that's a amazing call out because I hope that she used that in her marketing experiment with flavor. I also would just about wager money on her marketing background being a big reason that she was able to be successful so quickly. Six figures in one year, she must have marketed the shit out of that. And that is a lot of believing in your abilities that you've learned in your quote unquote past lives to transfer over to something else that you really want to do because your whole life is this through way of learning that you don't have to set aside or forget about when you're trying to get a new position. You can use it all Mm -hmm. relevant in ways that you 
probably never even guessed. And I bet when she got into it, she's, oh, I know what to do here. Yeah. Yeah. And I think marketing, like communications, like social media people are in such a, they're more uniquely positioned to go out onto their own and do stuff like Mm -hmm. this. So I follow this dog Instagram account obviously one of many that I follow and she has like almost 100,000 followers she's constantly doing promos and hashtag ad and she does social media for another company and she has a background on social media and I wish that I was like savvy enough and knew how to make stuff on the internet blow up and go viral like I wish I could I knew Mm. all of that stuff I'm betting Natasha knew exactly how to get that cash money get that paper Exactly. And to pitch a package that costs $20,000, you have to show value quickly. I'm sure that they were worth $20,000, but not everybody sees that from the Mm get-go and says, I'm going to spend $20,000 on this. Also not knowing who her target customer is, but that is not a small price tag. So to be able to say, I'm going to give you this cooking experience, it's going to be this much money running retreats. This is all very next level for me. I've never owned a business, but that's so awesome. If I were like to replicate this, I'd be like, oh, maybe a retreat could come three years down the line. I would not go for within a year after starting my business. And I'm so excited that it works for people because it scares me to do that, but I guess it's also a learning for me. You shouldn't be scared of it because you can do it. Court, you should have a you're not qualified retreat. Oh my God, where should we go? You should do the retreat somewhere with whales. <gasps> I feel like that would be the perfect backdrop. Iceland. <laughs> okay. Oh, I was thinking somewhere more locally. But yeah, um, we can go to Iceland <laughs> if you wanted. Yeah, I'll go. Great, great. This is so cool. And then on top of that, I don't know when... Natasha launched her business. COVID has been a thing for the past two and a half years. So I'm sure that had to have played some part in her business plan, whether it was a thing that prompted her to get into this or if it was something that she had to navigate, but she obviously navigated it successfully if it's all sold out. And then you have a literal baby that is that you are responsible for caring for. With the career change that I've done, I'm like, All I had to do was take care of myself and watch myself and I could barely do it. Yeah. Could you imagine when we were laid off having a nine month old baby, Maria, and also being like, okay, so I think that my next step is to just go out on my own. I applaud the guts that takes and and the belief in yourself. There's a very specific type of person that thinks that versus us where we're like, oh no, that's not for us. And I've always been in awe of those people because in terms of just like monetarily and your earning potential when you work for yourself the sky's the limit there's no one deciding like what you get paid and what your increases are and what your title is like when you work for yourself you can you have total control over every single part and I've always envied that um about people that do work for themselves but also my brain tends to think of disaster mode first so instead of realizing that potential my brain is always or but what if no one ever wants your services and you fail at this what if you fail and then you have to live in a box yeah on the street that would never happen and it would never happen honestly it would literally never happen but that still doesn't stop my brain thinking right yeah 
Gosh, what a badass. That's amazing. I think some really cool takeaways. Don't let a job description turn you off. Don't discount your past experiences. Even with you, Maria, cello. Like you wouldn't think that classical music could play into a lot of the world of tech or the world of like corporate business, but you have to develop patience. Learning an instrument is hard and learning an instrument and getting very good at it is hard. You have to develop attention to extreme detail. You have to develop working as a team in some instances, like, cause you're not always a soloist, but it, there's so much that you can take from your six-year-old self that's getting pushed into all of Let's this Let's go back work. to 1990. The year is 1990. <laughs> yeah. And all through college and then through your experiences otherwise, pull in from what you have and bring it forth and then have this unwavering belief in your success, yeah. which is something that's really hard for me, but people like Natasha shows that it's definitely, it pays off and it's achievable. And don't, and what really helped me is that instead of thinking about things that I maybe like specific projects or types of assignments that I like to do or I'm good at, think about the less tangible things, which is, so I am someone who likes uh, doing a bunch of different things, not necessarily being an expert at all of them, but I like that. I like being given a, a vague-ish problem or question or data set. And then I like to distill it into three to five maybe main points because that's the only way my brain can comprehend something. Like I can't like I can't get too into the nuances of something or else I would drive myself insane. I like being a resource to people. Like I like being someone that people can go to for questions, answers. And all of that has led me to, I like operations because you, you get to do a whole bunch of different things in data, in product analytics, you're given big data sets and figure out like what the heck is happening with this data. And three, I've been in a lot of training and onboarding and I've managed contractors. And that's where that kind of like, people management part of my brain likes to come and think about the big picture behind it. And that can help you not only in deciding a role or a career, but also when you have talks with your manager or whatever, you can say, I like things like this. And then that'll get your manager thinking about, okay, these are the types of projects or things that I can give to this person because that's what, they, that's what they're interested in, that sort of thing. Yeah, so just, just kind of build your own yeah, adventure step, here. Yeah. yeah, take a step back and try to think of the less tangible things about things that you like and are good at or want to know more about. And then hopefully if you have a really receptive manager, you can just kind of brain dump on them and and then they can kind of help guide you and give you projects that fit within those. Exactly. And there's something to say, if you try to have these talks with your manager and they don't seem receptive to something that would help your personal career growth, might be fodder enough to decide that it might not be the company or the role for you or the manager for you because you deserve people that are investing in your personal career growth. So it should go two ways, two way street here, but sometimes it doesn't. So yeah, keep on the lookout for it. Two way street, a hundred percent. I also firmly believe that if something like the idea that we as employees who are not people managers or whatever, like that we like somehow owe something to the company or to the manager mm. because they hired us. I don't, I think that can be a toxic thing and it can make people stay in a role for longer than maybe they should. It can mm. lead to people not feeling valued because 
they didn't like it wasn't like a favor that like they granted you right like they were looking for something you fit that need so you joined the team and the company and that's that that is that it's like the the tiktoks that. that i see where it's like millennial and gen z requesting time off it's like the millennials oh don't worry like i'll be reachable like i'll enter my emails at night and the gen z's you're not gonna reach me and deal with it like yeah. sometimes that's what we have to do and that's okay. Yes. Especially. And I tell this to my other teammates too, cause they're newer to this role for the first, they're new to the role and they're also new to the company, which is like, guys, we are a, we're a SaaS platform. We're not saving lives. Like we're not changing the world as bad as that kind of sounds, but like it's okay if a DM goes unanswered. It's okay if an email goes unanswered. It's okay if a comment on a bug ticket doesn't get answered. Everyone, the world will spin on. Yeah. Don't, like, please don't lose sleep. Don't lose sleep. Be good at it. Be a nice person to be around and to work with. You I can be like Natasha and strike like out Natasha. on your own and have sold out retreats and make six oh. figures. It's all possible. You can do it. It's really possible. And it's so inspiring. Thank you so much, Natasha, for writing it. That's really, really cool. Like killer kick-ass. It's awesome. I have one hooray that I would love to share. Thinking about age and thinking about us like being on the younger side of life. Sometimes it feels like I'm 60, but I'm 34. It's something where you feel like your timeline is very much so in this certain amount of decades within your life to do cool things, to have a cool job, to like actually live your life. And for me, sometimes I'm like, oh, my life will feel like it's like really wrapping up when I'm in my seventies. I can't do as cool of things anymore or anything, but I have this neighbor who is the owner of one of my puppy's best friends. It's a little dog and she has a little dog and they come over for play dates and everything. But one, like a few weeks ago, her daughter came over with the dog for a play date. And I was like, oh, like, where's your mom? And her mom, my neighbor is 85 years old. Okay. And I was like, where is your mom? And she's like, oh, she's in Paris on a girl's trip. Can you, can that be us when we can go on a frigging just, I was like coming in and I know this woman and she is just vivid and she's like full of life. She's so cool. And I'm like, she's on a girl's trip in Paris. And she's like, yeah, like she was a little bit worried about COVID and everything, but she got, she has her whole series and she just, mom, just go for it. And she did. I was like, she was worried. She, that's what she was worried about. Like she wasn't being like, I'm 85, 85 years old. They don't travel to Paris, which is insane of me to think, but also hell yeah. She went to Paris guys. Don't ever stop living your life. I'm ta- like, so we went to Europe a couple weeks ago and my body was like dead Yeah, to and from and all this. And so I'm like, I can barely mobilize to get <sighs> my ass on a flight and I'm 29 I hope that I have that ability when I'm 85. And I feel like that should be us. That will be us with our little dogs staying with, I probably won't have children, but staying with my niece or something. (laughs) And then we will leave the dogs with our partners. There you go. And then we'll just go to Paris. And we're going to go to Paris. 
at eight. I actually do have one that I just Yay. thought of actually. Okay. This came into my brain because we're going to New York in a couple weeks and I'm going to see this person there. Oh yeah, we are. I went with, I went to college with her. She is someone that I feel like can fit so many like molds and with so many different crowds. And I really envied that. I feel like she was never, she's not someone that has ever been pigeonholed in her life, but she played the bass in our music school and very good at it. Very sweet, very nice. She also joined a sorority as well, which I feel like, I don't know, that this might be me and like my like 90s rom-coms of the nerds and the jocks and the public kids or whatever. That might be like still penetrating my brain. But like she joined a sorority, but was still doing her music stuff. And she also worked like at a bar, like in downtown Nashville, like part-time. And after graduation, she ended up going to I think maybe Greece with a friend of hers or maybe not Greece but like they did that thing I can't remember what it's called but it's basically like you work on a farm in exchange for like board room and board oh wolfing yeah she Mm -hmm. did something like that and then she ended up just traveling all around Europe she went to she got her master's in some kind of maybe like cybersecurity or international security in Israel so then she ended up spending a couple years in Israel she then bounced she was in like southeast asia australia new zealand i think she met her partner in australia what a life right and so then she moved back to new york a couple years ago and then was in the service industry i think a server bartender whatever and i think maybe she was also like teaching english as well on the side of course the pandemic probably like threw a wrench on all of that but she recently got a job as like an account manager or a customer success manager for some company in new york and i'm gonna go see her in a couple weeks when we're there and she's just someone that like has never fit the mold of what you thought she might do based mm. off of what she looks like her personality or whatever like she's always someone that i could feel like fit in with different like crowds and and I've always really envied that about her and she just is also just so cool I think we all like to think that we could be like that girl that travels around the world Maria thank you so much for being on thank you for having me Court this was a dream come true I loved this so much Gosh, stop. That's so sweet of you to say. And thank you again for Natasha for your badass email and like just inspiration in a paragraph. So many snaps and claps for Natasha. Incredible human. What a badass. Just do the damn thing. There were a couple of themes here that we pointed out. Layoffs. Layoffs impact a lot of people. Layoffs impacted myself, Maria, lots of our close friends. They fucking suck. They are really rough on your self-esteem. They are very rough on your mental health. And to say that, oh, it's a learning experience and a growth experience is cliche, and it really does a disservice to just how impactful those experiences can be for our careers and derailing they can be for our careers and lives. But I will say that if you are in a situation or have been, you, you know how it feels obviously, but there could be opportunities to then reinvent yourself or find something else that might align even better. And you might not have actually done that as soon as you did or with the tenacity that you did if it weren't for the layoff. So silver lining, yes, but also, of course, giving all of the the patience and the understanding and the love for those people that it happens to because it really, really sucks. So there's hope out there. 
Don't lose it. You've got this. Keep it up if you're in that situation. And applaud those people that are doing the most badass things and going out on their own like Natasha did. That's so cool. Building a business from the ground up with something that serves your soul, something that you really love to do. I'm so thankful for knowing all of you badass people. All right. I hope that you guys all have a wonderful rest of your week. And we will, of course, see you on Thursday for the regularly scheduled programming of the You're Not Qualified podcast. Okay, bye.